We could talk about the importance of microphones and things like that and your sound cards, but it's important that you have the right footwear on when you're making records, and obviously flip-flops are the best item of footwear you can wear when making records. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Session Recall Podcast. This episode is a continuation from week 17. So there's basically viewer questions that have come in to us via email, via social media channels, basically anything that's been posted from us from previous episodes, from any th- previous topics that we've talked about, and recording questions in particular for the next few episodes. And without further ado, we'll just jump straight back into this episode where we'll be following up with the next set of questions, which we'll be talking a little bit about mastering. I'm on the wrong screen, well done me. Masters. So, this came from someone else who's also coming on the production workshop. So, this one's come from Morgan. He's messaging about mastering. And when you're sending files for masters, what do you send? It was really about, like, do I send stems? Do I send multiple elements for the mastering engineer? I mean, I know stem mastering is becoming more and more popular. And it is a thing. But I'm still only asked for my stereo WAV file in the highest resolution that you know whatever it was recorded at basically you know when we use pete mayer we just send the stereo mixes to him he's not there there's times when he said oh maybe you could just tweak this in the mix and then that means this will do this in the master blah 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 but no i've not done it and the times of mastered have gone to abbey road and stuff it's always just been my um stereo files in wav format um at whatever sample rate it was recorded at I've not not had any artists ask me to send stems for mastering. I've not had any mastering engineers ask for that yet. Just to expand on that, can you just explain where would stems be useful? I guess for a mastering engineer to be able to, you know, when if you, they get a mix and the vocals may be just buried a little bit too much, and I know they can bring it out a certain amount, but obviously if they've got the stems there, they can easily just pop that up there. So it's easier for them to do that without it affecting other things within the mix then. And obviously if you're bringing up the center of your track to pop the vocal out a little bit or taking the sides out a bit further, it's going to alter things that are in the middles, kicks and snares and things like that. So it's great, but I guess... If, if you know, you're mastering on a budget, then there's no time for the mastering engine to really do that. So that you should really get that right in your mix first. But I get it why mastering engines might, they can maybe do a, a, a better job because obviously they can just compress certain things, elements of the mix yeah. if they want to there. But it depends what your mastering engineer is doing. If he's just there to, you know, is the mix good? Am I just bringing it up to commercial level? Is it, you know, does it need... Does it need a lot of help? If this, if it's a terrible, terrible mix, and having the stems would be great for them, but then you're kind of almost remixing the track yeah. a little bit. That's, I think that's the thing about the stems is like it's almost like passing off the job to someone else, a little yeah. bit. And so yeah. it's the amount of time I imagine it would take to kind of balance and mix out the stems again is like well, that's the yeah. extra amount of time. And if you're paying by the hour, then that's gonna eat into yeah. it. It's gonna take a little bit. It may take a little bit longer. Because I can't imagine sending a mix off going, yeah, this mix sounds terrible, but we'll just send the stems to the mastering engineer and he can sort it out. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not, you got to get the mix so you're happy with the mix. You know, yeah. they might be like, oh yeah, maybe it just needs a little bit more oomph, but the mix sounds great, so I don't want to touch mm. it and that'll come from mastering or whatever. And, yeah. Um, I, th- I think, you know, we- if you just, you just kind of make sure that, you know, there's no, that sonically it's all in the right place where it needs to be for that mix and that style really. So yeah. Well, I think I think the other thing is like when we've done stems in the past, it's never really for mastering, is it? It's usually for TV. Yeah. Um, normally, where we have to run everything off, um, so that's, it makes it much easier when when we're in the box completely. Yeah. But you have to run everything off with the processing on, 
so that like if a TV wants to have an instrumental mix and then bring the vocals in after a certain point, they can do yeah. that. I remember we did this for John for Fisher's Head, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, I think that was the last time I remember doing that was where we have to like have the mix set up back in the studio, have all the same settings and then run off the drums, run off the bass, run off the guitars yeah, and the vocals. So then they could have like, you know, the label wanted it for, yeah, for, for publishing, I guess you think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's things I've mastered where I wish I'd had the stems because there's not a lot I can do with it because it's just a bad mix, badly recorded. And you think oh, if I had the stems now, I could do this and I could do that. And you know, there's like a, echoey vocal going on where it's been badly recorded things like that but then those things are usually low budget sessions and low budget mastering sessions so you're doing you're doing you know the track's really cheap for people kind of doing three in this in this uh time it would usually take to do one and then you think well if i it's that kind of battle then because yes if i had the stems i could get a much better master out of this but then i'm going down the road of remixing the track for them which you're not getting paid for and if it's a 10 track album you're doing it like that that's a lot of work then to do that yeah. i might bring it up that i might bring it up that that is something i could do and usually there just is no budget because this is why it sounds like it does in the first place so they're just like no just make it sound as good as you can with what you've got yeah i think that was probably when we went back to the mixing question what well what wouldn't you touch i suppose like if something's really badly recorded i think send it back to them say look i think you need to do a little bit more work on this we need to get other players in yeah um that could be another part yeah new refuse mixes quite a lot you know just saying it's not quite ready mm-hmm. to get it to where you know i want to be before i mix it i, yeah. I want it to be before i mix it well, I mastered something for someone the other day and there was things I could have done and the things we could have changed in the mix, but there was no time or money or yeah. money to do that. Uh, and they'd send it to radio and the radio liked the song, but they wouldn't play it because it wasn't a commercial volume. And also the vocal sounded really echoey. There was kind of a weird frequency knocking about and so they refused to play it. So they just sent it to me and they said, no, we can't afford to remix it. We we can only afford to get it mastered. What can you do with it? I mastered it and then it got ch- and then it got played last weekend, I think. Possibly Steve Lamar. I'm not sure. Anyway, someone played it, learned, and and it got um, got them some radio play over the weekend just from that little bit of work on on remastering it. Yeah, I think that's the benefit, isn't it? If I'm having a mastering engineer, having someone third party, just, I suppose it goes back to last week's episode when we were talking about mastering, is having that third ear, like you know, the the extra set of ears are completely neutral. I haven't heard stuff. They can kind of highlight. Well, there's a resonant frequency here which we can cut out. With there's bits we can bring the volume up. So obviously. When people say mastering's a dark art, it's well, yes, it is. No one really knows what it is. It is all magic, just like synths. No <laughs> one knows how synths work. Yeah. But having the experience and understanding EQ, understanding frequencies, you can go, okay, that's building up. If we take that out, that might open things up. And yeah. Mean knowing your room, knowing your monitoring and stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing your room, knowing your monitoring, yeah. you get it and you go, right, well, that shouldn't sound like that. That should sound like. Oh, there's a question from Richard Jones, the legendary Richard Jones. Richard Jones, assuming you record drums first, what order would you choose to multi-track the five-piece guitar band? Five-piece guitar band? Mm. Does that mean they've got keys? No. Does he incorporate got... a keyboard player? Mm, don't know. I think he's just talking drums, bass, two guitars, vocals, right? Yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. Obviously, you've done the drums first. Like he's assuming we've recorded the drums first there, so which makes sense. I mean, I've done records where I've put the drums on last just because they've recorded a lot of stuff themselves, and then they've wanted to come into the studio to add the drums. Doesn't always work, but you know, we've done that a few times. Um, for me, drums. Yeah, then get the bass on. Then I would get the main guitars, as I call them, rhythm guitars, and then I get the vocal on. Probably get a guide vocal on very early at the beginning, 
something that Noel Gallagher was talking about on that interview uh, he was doing the other day, actually. Oh, where he's digging I, you up, wasn't he? I think, yeah, he was talking about about me and going into the studio with an engineer, and um, yeah, he, he was talking about it on there. He was talking about getting you know some uh, advice that Weller had given him was to get the vocal on early, so you can kind of hear how the track should should be and build everything around that. Yeah, but it's a nice interview with it with him, uh, which you could probably put up, John, for people to listen to. Yeah, it's good. So yeah, I'd get the if a vocal, a good vocal, even if it ends up being a guide, but a really good vocal down. Um, but yeah, it would be drums, bass, rhythm, guitars, then the main vocal, um, kind of finish it off any bits. Then pff, depends, depends if sometimes people can only be there certain times of the day, whether they've got work or whether they're not there for the whole session. So if there's keys, they might go on then if he's there. If not, we'll work on backing vocals or percussion. Depends if the drummer's doing the percussion or if I'm doing the percussion or someone else is doing the percussion. And sometimes it's just what you hear. You hear an idea, don't you? And you go, oh, let's throw that on now while it's fresh in, in our head, work on some um, synth parts or whatever. Generally, I'm kind of I build up a strong rhythm section, then get the vocals on and then add the kind of bits around it because you need that vocal to know where so the, your lead guitarist doesn't just play all over the vocal. Um, you need it sat there. And yeah, and then last kind of bits, maybe little effects, maybe atmospheric noises, um, the guitar solos. Um, little bits that come in and out, kind of noises, production stuff, really. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a really interesting one. Um, I seem to tend to go between doing guitars next, then bass. But I'm, it depends. If it's a really good basses, I'm just going to put it down. Yeah. But then it also comes down to, I suppose, like the pre-production element, where you have this habit of sometimes bands can't quite hear themselves. They sometimes they're not all playing the same thing. I've been doing guitars before bass. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, that makes sense as well. I mean, it depends if he's going to try and keep the bass and the drums, you know, if, they, if they're solid and they know and the parts are right. But yeah, I've had that where the bass isn't, doesn't quite fit with what the guitars are doing and the guitars are the main riff of the song and the hook of the song. And then because the bass player can't, can't like you say, hasn't probably been able to hear himself in the rehearsal room. Yeah, sometimes it might take a little bit more. And then it, it depends. Yeah, it, it's on band by band basis. Like sometimes yeah. you have a band where. The bass and drums are tracked together, and it sounds perfect. You know, it's like yeah. it's really tight. You don't. There's not much that really needs to be done to it. Yeah, but you might revisit the bass because they might be passing notes that all of a sudden could be put in once the guitars are on. You hear, well, that could yeah. do with that. Or passing notes that need to be taken out because everyone's accenting that already on the guitars, yeah. on the drum, whatever. You know, so yeah, we can tweak it, swap. Yeah, them, you know, swap. It's usually yeah, it's usually setting it up, isn't it? Setting the room up so you can kind of go between it, each and each and everything. Um, I do know the answers. Do you normally just like go song by song? Do you do it in sections? So like, do you split up the vocals if it's like more than one song? Yeah, so I don't like to do all the drums, then all the bass, then all the guitars, then all the I don't like that. We kind of, sometimes in batches, sometimes we might get all the drums done. It, depend, it depends. Sometimes we're like only in Rockfield to do drums and bass and then we got to go somewhere else. So yeah, you would do all the drums and bass. But um I kind of like to build a song, really, in an ideal world. I like to build it and then move on, but or do it in batches. I just don't like to leave all the vocals to the end because then, you know, a lot of pressure on a singer. And if he gets ill towards the end of the session, then that's it. It's kind of, there's no vocals then. But yeah, to sing like a whole album's worth in the last couple of days. And then if that singer's doing all the backing vocals, that's a lot of singing. So. I like to get some vocals done early on, even if it's at the end of the night, just get some takes as we every night, just get some vocal takes on something so that 
you know, and then comp them as you go. You might not have the final vocal, but at least you've got a lot of it done. Um, and just get the singer used to being in the room, used to singing, used to the headphones. And I just say to them, look, if you want to sing at any point, you go and sing. If you say, no, I want to sing now, I'm ready, then you go and sing because we got to get those vocals done when, when you're feeding it. Yeah. You, would you, I mean, yeah, my, my biggest, my biggest worry all the time is like blowing a singer's voice out. Yeah. And like, I think sometimes singers don't know, like, you know, singers who are starting out don't always know how good their voice is, um, or know when to stop. So trying to spread it out a little bit. Yeah. Cause they always make that comment, John. They always say, no, just line the tracks up one after another 10 and I'll just sing all 10. Just sing it through. I've got 10 songs and it takes 45 (laughs) minutes to the whole album. Yeah. yeah, Just line them up on one session and I'll just sing them all one after another. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not how the production works. No, no. You can definitely do that, but I mean, how much would be usable? But then, do you find like sometimes like the guide for whatever reason just works? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Like, I've done it a couple of times where the guide just it's got something, and maybe because it's a dynamic mic, and it's just in the room, no headphones, they're more comfortable. Yeah. But lead singer's think... disease hasn't had any time to kick in at that <laughs> point, John. So. <laughs> Can't give away Lee Singer's disease, Nick. Everyone will know sorry. now. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that brings us on to the next question. <sighs> right. <laughs> Dynamic versus condensed and like for vocals in the studio. Which you prefer? Which one would you prefer, or does it depend on the song and the setting? It does. But as you know, I like to record a dynamic and a condenser together. And I'll record both and I'll make the decisions later in the mix or whatever. One one will sit better in the track. So we use like the um, U67 along with the SM7 or you just might, or a 58 or something, and you might just compress the shit out of the dynamic, uh, make it grainy, and then the other one might, you might leave. Other times you're just using one of the mics, but I'll have them both set up so that I can decide later. And other times it just works... In the, if you're in the control room, for instance, you might just use a 58 or a 57, doing vocals with a, a young artist called Lisa Mottram the other week, and her voice just suits a 57. She sings in the control room, no he- no headphones, and the 57 for what she wants, that graininess, that, the way it sounds with her voice, that's what she wants to, to use, and she responds to that mic better than putting her in front of a really expensive microphone with headphones. So it just works. Tim from Ash, we used to do a lot of his vocals in the control room with just a 57, and it just worked. The response when he's right on the mic, um, also without the headphones and less spill off the 57 in the control room. So, yeah, the setting does make a difference, but generally I'll set up one of each. And then sometimes I'll use just one, depending on what's sitting in the track. Sometimes I use both. I thought you said I'll set up on a beach and I think, yeah, I like to do vocals on the beach. Oh, vocals on a beach. Yeah, good. Just what you need is 57 on the beach, John. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, f- to set in and how people like Scott for Kitten Pyramid talk about him again, it's like in the control room just with a 58, that's what he likes, you know, um, no headphones, the music cranked, doesn't care about the spill. That's how he likes singing. So that then maybe overrides the tonal quality of the mic, you know, because you're getting the performance and he's comfortable and it works for him. So you, that's outweighing or the fact that it's not a, a Valve 47 or a U67 or what C800G or whatever, you know. Other times, you really are finding the mic that suits the singer. If you've got time, you might have a range of vocal mics. You might be a really good singer, really technical singer. 
you need to capture every aspect of that voice and you might try you might have a mic off between about five or six mics and then you might go no that's the one and then you're just using that one mic and you'll use that for the whole album that's the one that captures the voice that's the one we need to use for the album and that could be the 58 you know but yeah but i'm uh i'm a fan of having both set up recording with both and then i kind of choose when i'm mixing them i remember when we used to do when they used to be on sessions even rockfield it used to be like uh four and four sm7 and a valve mic maybe yeah yeah and most of the time it would normally be like the four and four or the sm7 but every now and then i remember it was like a solid tube yeah you, you just get like a soft vocal or something where it's just like the solid tube all and of the solid tube becomes, does it yeah becomes the right mic for that thing yeah but as soon as it's kind of like a loud shouty vocal it would just never work and i, I always find that with the valve 47 actually when we go to martin's if it's kind of like a soft kind of up front it's nice, but as soon as it's kind of anything that's pushing, it mm. it, it never used to win that you know, mic. And even though it's an amazing mic, it never used to win, did it? So um, I find that with the solid tube as well. The four and four is just a great mic. It just you know you could use that all the time. And yeah, we use that with Danny from Thunder a lot, and it just suits his voice. But it's a great all round mic. My favorite mic for people who might be recording themselves a little bit. So say like we're recording at home. Would you say would would dynamic or condenser come into it a bit more then, or like would we be more um, leaning one towards the other, or do we really just depending on? So yeah, it depends on this. It does depend on what room you're recording in at home. Having a nice mic is great if you can record your vocals at home because you can spend all that time on it, and you know you're not conscious about other people being around and all that kind of stuff. But um, if you're on a budget and you're at home and your room's not particularly good. I don't think you can beat an SM7B for the money. Yeah. If you buy that, you'll get good vocal sounds out of it. It's a great mic. Well, yeah. Um, well, I'm using the was it the MV7 now, the USB one. Um, yeah. I like you it. Like Elvis. Brilliant. I, well, I am it's Elvis. Rich. Look at my hair. Velvet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think if you've got a treated room, I think it's good. I think sometimes, obviously, with like condensers, they could be a bit more sensitive to the room maybe yeah, yeah. and then like and it's if, difficult then yeah so i think starting out like that's why like you know when you start out recording and as we said when we talked about like recording vocals just now like in the studio 58s are great they can work but it's just like working i remember like when i was doing work experience in welsh club in cardiff they just said like Look, just work with what you've got and yeah. you learn more from doing that and you will be like just trying to buy you know the next best thing or like you know keep upgrade trying to spend the, like upgrade everything yeah, and someone goes out and buys a two grand mic, and then they've still got their really shit uh, preamp. You know, <laughs> spend spend half the money on the on the on the mic and get a better preamp as well. Let's get a USB one. I think this one might be. That is the last question. Yeah. So yeah, thanks everyone for the uh, the questions. Um, Josh, Craig, Richard, um, friend Guy Mitchell over in Spain here, and who else did we have questions off? Morgan. So cheers good set of questions so thanks very much for watching if you guys have any questions for us keep please just drop us a message leave us a comment on youtube or send us an email at podcast at sessionrecall.com um as we said we've got a guide for bands who are starting out called the bands checklist which is available at sessionrecall.com forward slash bands checklist and we've already mentioned as well that we've got the production workshop happening in april um there's a couple of spaces left on that now as well and that's available at sessionrecall.com forward slash band checklist and 
thanks again for listening for watching and if you know anyone who'd be interested in and to think they might this podcast would be useful for them please share please like and please like and subscribe and we'll see you all again next time one thing before we go john one yeah. thing before we go um you know we talked about um obviously bands sending us t-shirts and things like that that's great roland have sent us some amazing equipment some and boss um we get sent stuff all the time but if anyone wants to send me some flip-flops that would be brilliant because the dog has eaten all my flip-flops and we could talk about the importance of microphones and things like that and your sound cards but it's important that you have the right footwear on when you're making records and obviously flip-flops are the best um item of footwear you can wear when making records yeah they do keep you grounded so yeah the dog's eating all my flip-flops so was that um was that ronnie um, barker wants to send me flip-flops no it was rafa rafa brainitez um so yeah if anyone wants to send me some flip-flops send them to leaders vale studios or rockford studios address to me and i will happily wear them yeah. on our podcast because uh, you and you won't get to see them <laughs> well yeah okay, i don't you. think we've Bye. seen your feet yet nick <laughs> i'll see you later no <laughs> yeah see you later